Very excited about this series we're in called The Gospel. Those of you who don't know, the gospel actually means the good news. And so what I get to do today, I'm excited about this, is I want to summarize the entire Bible in one verse. And so there's actually one verse that summarizes the good news of the entire Bible. And so we're going to unpack that today. I'm very, very excited about that today. Maybe someone, by the way, drags you to church today. Maybe someone said, oh, just, just come, just come once, just, just come on, or, or just tune in just once. And so if that's you today, we're really glad you're here. I want to just try to lay out what the Bible is all about. And I'm excited about this and just explain what the gospel actually means. And, and so I'm very, very fired up to have you here because I think there's a simplicity here that may surprise you. And I think that can really help you understand that maybe, maybe, just maybe, God is real. And so I'm excited about sharing with this with you today. Let's start with our mission statement today. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. We actually believe that. We are convinced that there is a God who really loves you and wants to be in your life. And so I'm going to unpack that today. I'm very excited, again, to have you guys with us today. So I'm going to dive right in because i got a lot of content to cover, but I want to lay some groundwork if I can before we get too far. Maybe today you're the skeptic. You're the one who says, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really buying it. I've just, you know, maybe you've got friends or family who are Christians and you're not quite there. I want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. In fact, the truth is, is that I'm really honored that you took the time to do this. And so, because I think you may actually learn something today that, that may surprise you. So I want to lay some groundwork down, if I can, before we get to this one key verse that, that really summarizes the whole Bible. It's kind of nice to know that there's like a spark notes to the Bible here. Like there's, this is one verse that just covers it all. We're going to show you that verse in just a minute. But before I do that, again, some groundwork I want to lay down. So, you know, uh, evolutionary biologists tell us that every animal, every mammal, every part on those animals has an evolutionary purpose. And so, for example, you know, we know that fish have gills because it helps them breathe underwater, right? That's how they breathe, right? Have you ever noticed that cows and horses don't have gills? Anyone ever notice this, right? I mean, it would be a little ridiculous. And so this is also why I don't recommend holding a cow or a horse underwater, right? Because they can't survive that. They weren't designed for that, right? And so, again, evolutionary biologists will tell you, they will say, well, yeah, so so what they believe in, and, and I don't agree with, with evolution, but that's another argument, but I want to say this, based upon your own theories of evolution, if you do believe that, means that every part of us has a purpose. Then why is it that we're the only mammals, if you want to call us that, that actually thinks about eternity? Dolphins don't think about that, and they're supposed to be really smart. I mean, you know, cows don't think about that, dogs don't think about that, cats don't think about that, no other animal thinks about eternity, but, but us. So that's because I believe we are animals. I believe we've been set apart in creation. But again, that's an argument for probably for another day. But I want to show you scripture. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, it is beautiful how God has done everything at the right time. He has put a sense of eternity in people's minds. Yet mortals still can't grasp what God is doing from the beginning to the end of time. So I believe, this is really important, I believe that the reason why we want to know what happens after we die and no other animal wants to know that is because God put that in us. It's because God designed us to want to know, because if we have an, an inquiring mind to say, I want to know about that, then we can discover him. So I'm convinced of that. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to encourage you with is that we are different from the animals because we long to figure out our eternal destiny. We want to know, like, what's going to happen after I die? This is the, the age-old question that people ask. But again, no animals asking this question. 
And so it's only us, it's only those of us who are humans that are asking that question, what happens when we die? And I believe that God clearly tells us in Scripture, He put eternity in our hearts. He put it in us to want to know what's going to happen, where do I go? I need to figure this out because I'm going to be dead a lot longer than I'm going to be alive. So I need to know what the plan is beyond this life, right? And so now, since we're already talking about uh, biology a little bit and nature, I want to share another Scripture with you. It says in Romans 1.20, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And so God can be seen and, and can be proven just through creation, just through the world around us. In fact, it's funny, scientists actually call the earth, they call it the privileged planet, why is it so privileged? What I mean by that is that, is that you know, they're already exploring Mars now, and they're exploring uh, other, other planets, but what they've discovered is that they may have a few qualities that Earth has, but what they don't have is intelligent life because the atmosphere of those planets is not designed for that. So why is it that this one planet is designed perfectly for you and I to live on it? And think about that for a second because we're told by some scientists, not all scientists believe this, there's plenty of scientists who believe in a God and Plenty of those scientists came to that conclusion from science, by the way. But I just want to challenge you on this because this seems to be the notion that people say, well, there is no God because I believe in science. Well, first of all, you can believe in God and believe in science because I believe science points to God. And so my question for you is that why is it that this Earth's axis, if it was off by even just a half a centimeter, would spin out of control and we'd all either burn up or freeze? But it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it just, just so happens to be just right for you and I to live. Just so happens to be created just right so that there's these things called plants that man needs because we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. And guess what plants breathe in? Carbon dioxide. And guess what they create? Oxygen. What a chance. I mean, what a coincidence because we're told this is totally accidental. That's mind-blowing to me that people would believe that that's accidental. It's just too perfectly tweaked for you and I to live. I just want to challenge you with that for a second. Just think about that. Think about creation. It's just, it's designed for us to live. And so if it's designed for us to live, then don't you need a designer? If you have something that clearly shows incredible complexity and design, I mean, why are there 80 billion cells in my one eyeball and all of those cells know to see, but the same exact cells are in my finger, but all of these cells know to touch? Who told them that? I'm not supposed to believe this just accidentally happened. See, I think there's evidence that there is a God, that there is a creator all around us. Recently, my wife and I went on vacation. We kind of did a bucket list trip, one of those trips you don't do but for every maybe five or six years. And so we spent a little money normal. We went over to Greece. And it was such a good time. It was really beautiful. And, and part of the trip, we went to an island called Santorini. It's considered, I think, the second or third most Instagrammable location in the world. And believe me, everyone was doing Instagram. It was a little annoying, honestly. But it was beautiful. I'm not going to complain about being in paradise. It was gorgeous. And so we really enjoyed our trip. I mean, there's so much to check out. And it was just, it was amazing to be there. Santorini is actually uh, part of a uh, part of a, a, a volcano. And so it's pretty neat to experience that. And you're like, wow, I'm staying on a volcano. It's pretty cool. And so at one point, we go around to the edge of the island because everyone tells us the one thing you go to Santorini for is the sunsets are just 
unbelievable. I mean, and, and I didn't quite believe it. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. And then I saw it and I was like, whoa, that is insanely amazing. And so we, we actually booked a, a, a one night, a dinner uh, in a restaurant that actually was right at the corner of the island. There's only three or four restaurants over there. They were all booked up. You had to kind of do this early. And then everyone who didn't get booked up at the restaurants, they were just lining the street and basically lining the sidewalks everywhere just to see the sunset. And people came out to see this. There were thousands, at least a thousand people all on this hill just sitting wherever they could find a seat to watch the sunset. It was so beautiful, I decided to actually capture it with time-lapse on my phone while we ate dinner. Here it is. I want to show you real quick just how incredible it was. And so it, it was a little overwhelming. It was like, this is amazing. It literally looks like the sun is dropping into the ocean by the time it goes down. It was just amazing. And maybe you're into sunsets. and I mean, there's pretty sunsets in Texas too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's the same sun. But just there's something about the way the sun sets that just was absolutely remarkable. It was stunning. There were people from all over the world that were at this restaurant that were eating with us. And so you know, right across the way was a couple from Germany. And in front of us, there's a couple from Holland. I mean, there were people from all over the world that come because the sunsets are just that remarkable. What was really cool is at the end of the sunset, right when it went into the ocean, or so it looked like it, right when it did that, about a thousand people started applauding. It was so cool. I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. People began to applaud the sunset. And I thought everyone just applauded God. They just applauded what, what God did. There's just so much evidence that there has to be a creator. I just want to challenge you to, to think about that for a second. I believe that that is really the truth. And then the, the third thing I want to share with you is, is 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. It says this, at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of your salvation. So I want to challenge those of you who are maybe skeptical about Christianity and our faith. I want to challenge you to open your mind. I find it funny that the very people who criticize Christianity will say we're closed-minded, but yet they're not open-minded to the things of God. They're not open-minded to the fact that maybe all this creation points to a creator. They're not open-minded that the fact that we even think about eternity, isn't that a purpose that was put in us? That Remember, gills are required for fish to be able to breathe. And, right, we all, every part of us, is, it was designed supposedly biologically for a purpose. And why do we have this, all of us have this design in our head that we want to know about eternity, but no one else cares about that, no other animal. It's like we were designed to think about eternity. So we have evidence all over around us that there must be a God. So is there any evidence that goes beyond that? Is there any evidence that enters into history, any historical moment that, that matters that could change all that? Well, you know what? Right now, there's a lot of debate going on in our world today. I mean, there's a lot of people um, who are, there's a lot of racial strife, you know, and a lot of this is driven by the fact that in our history here in America, there was slavery at one point. And so people are asking the question. I know people are like, what's it going to say next? You know, just everybody chill. We're adults. But here's the thing, wherever you lie on that issue, like some people are saying, man, because of slavery, we should, we should do reparations and help people financially who, who are descendants of slaves because that set them back. Some people are arguing, other people are saying, well, wait, we already had the civil rights movement and we've already done all those things and now we're all on level playing field. Oh, this isn't level playing field. And this is the argument, right? But can you imagine if, if, if there were two pundits on CNN or MSNBC or NBC News or whatever channel you happen to watch, if there's two pundits arguing this, and can you imagine if I entered the argument, I just stepped into the screen and I was like, hey, I just want to mention that I don't even think it even happened. At that point, both people on either side of the argument would turn to me and like, you're an idiot. Like, are you serious? If I was like, I mean, come on, guys, do we really even know slavery really happened? 
They'd be like, uh, yeah, because of all the books written about this and all the documentation and all the physical evidence we found. And, you know, why is there, you know, underground, you know, railways is what we called them, but they were basically just tunnels to help slaves escape. And you can still go and you can find these places today all across America. I mean, there's just, there's just evidence. So we know that there's all kinds of documentation and people wrote about this stuff and passed it down to their kids and their kids' kids. And this is all we know. And what if I said to you, I don't believe any of that documentation. That's ridiculous. You'd say, seriously, you're a slavery denier? I mean, you just look like a fool making that argument. We could argue about what the results of that would be about slavery and what we should do or, or even if we should do anything today. But we can all argue that, but I don't think any of us are going to say, eh, probably never really happened. I don't think anyone's arguing that. And what about the people that to this day argue that the Holocaust never happened? It's incredibly insulting, of course, to anyone who is of Jewish descent to say, are you kidding me? I mean, but there's some of both. I said, well, they made all that up. I mean, come on. I mean, I know there's books on it, but you know, people can write lies all the time. And all those pictures, you know, you can do some pretty amazing things now with Photoshop. I mean, I'm not really sure it happened. You would say, no, I, I, there's people who've been to Dachau. They, they saw the evidence. There were people who were there. I had a great grandmother who knows about the history. And this, I mean, we could, you, you could say all that, but well, I think they're all lying. I don't think any of that's real. You say, well, there's just too many people. There's no way you're going to argue that the Holocaust didn't happen because there's just too much evidence and too many people wrote about it and saw it and were eyewitnesses. You can't deny this. Please don't be a slavery denier and please don't be a Holocaust denier. And I would say, I agree with both of you. And now I want to add one more thing. Why are you being a resurrection denier then? There was too much evidence, too much history, too many eyewitnesses. And so there's all this eyewitness account. I've been to the Louvre. The Louvre is in Paris. Years ago, we went. And when I was in Paris at the Louvre, I was amazed. It had floors and each floor. It had different sculptings and different artist renderings and paintings and all kinds of different art and history. And they had all these writings. It was pretty amazing. And it was by years. It was by like, you know, this, this hundred year period, this, this thousand year period. It was pretty amazing to go through that. But I found it interesting that right around the first century, right around the first hundred years in that century, all of the artwork changed. And all of a sudden, every painting, it seemed like, and every sculpting, it seemed like, was about some guy named Jesus. It was almost like they all saw something happen that was so crazy, so amazing, they all decided to shift all of their artwork to that one event. Because there's so many people who saw it, whose lives were changed by it, that after that, for thousands of years, paintings and drawings and sculptings have been about Jesus over and over and over again. I was amazed by that. So there's none, and all of a sudden, one period of history happens, and there's, they're everywhere. That tells me that someone was born, claimed to be God, then proved it. And everyone wrote about it, and everyone drew about it, and everyone sculpted about it. That was what it was all about. Because I will not be... <laughs> a resurrection denier, just like I will not be a Holocaust denier or a slavery denier. That is a reality, a historical reality. But let me say one more thing before we go any further about opening your mind, those of you who are not open to the things of God. Let me just say this. I want to apologize. I want to sincerely tell you that I'm sorry. As someone who is just a member of the Christian community, of the, of the church, of, of those who claim Christ, I want to say I'm sorry because many people 
who are not open to the things of God are not closed-minded because of Jesus, but because of some of his worst followers. Amen. Because someone who claimed to be a Christian treated you poorly. Someone who claimed to be a Christian judged you, rejected you, really hurt you. And that's not right. Or maybe you say, well, I didn't have any of that, but I had a professor who told me none of this was real. And can I tell you, if you were to dig back in that professor's history, you'd probably find that they were just a little boy, a little girl, and they were hurt by a Christian. And so they've now taken that hurt and tried to make it seem like it's academic to try to convince you that there's really no God when really they're just a wounded little boy or little girl who's grown up, who's trying to convince you that there is no God because if they can convince you, they feel like they've done their job to protect you from the hurt that they've had. I just want to challenge you with that. You know, I mean, if, if this Christianity wasn't real, and by the way, I think it's kind of funny that a lot of intellectuals think that somehow, well, I'm so smart that, you know, they think, oh, Christians are these, are these hayseed hillbilly hicks that don't have edu- education or, you know, any of that stuff. And I think that's funny. First of all, I don't consider myself that educated, but I do have a master's degree. I mean, I have studied this, you know, and, 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 but I want to tell you this right now, but, you know, before you say, well, that's just seminary. And I don't believe seminary. Oh, you don't believe seminary? Six out of seven Ivy League schools in America were all seminaries when they started. Harvard. Brown, Princeton, all seminaries. They were created by Christians to train pastors. Now, they've gone a long way from that beginning at this point. But I just find it funny that the intellectual geniuses of the day that founded the Ivy League schools in America were all Christians. And I need to also let you know that if you got sick in this last year with COVID and had to get some help, I bet the hospital you showed up to said, Baptist hospital, Methodist hospital, Catholic hospital, because Christians, once again, are changing the world and bringing health care to you. So I say all that to say that's just some more anecdotal evidence that people's lives have really been changed by this faith that we believe in because a man really did die and raise again. There's lots of historical documentation of that. And then people's lives were so changed that they wanted to change the world by starting great institutions, by bringing education to people, by starting hospitals all over the world. What I'm trying to say is is that there's so much evidence that there's a God who loves you everywhere. Your life's already been impacted by Christ, whether you realize it or not. So please take a moment now and set aside the hurt that you've had from someone in the past, or set aside the view you have of Christianity because of some preachers who've taken advantage of people, I get more mad than you do at that. Because it makes what I do look bad. And there's a lot of people that do what I do simply because their life has been changed. And they want other people to know about God too. So if you can just open your mind for a second and set all that aside, I want to now share a scripture with you. One verse that summarizes the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Here is that verse. It's real simple, Romans 6, 23. Here is the one verse that's got the gospel in it, the whole gospel. Here it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the one verse that's got the entire gospel in it. It's got the first portion, the wages of sin is death, the second portion, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to invite some friends out to come out here real quick and help me. I want to give you kind of an illustrated example of what this verse is teaching us, if that's okay. If we can just take a moment. So you guys give our great production crew a hand. Would you do that real quick? So as they set that up, I'm excited about this because this verse says the wages of our sin is death. And so, but when I ask people, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? The answer I get is almost always the same. It's some rendition of this. They say, I'm a pretty good guy. 
I'm a pretty good girl, I'm a pretty good person, so yeah, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I think pretty, pretty good. Where is that in the Bible? I don't think I've seen that. It's, it's actually not in there. And shouldn't it, so if we're talking about the one verse that's got the gospel, and shouldn't it cover it right there? Shouldn't it say, and for those who are pretty good, they're going to go to heaven. It, it doesn't say that. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And so I don't know about you, but death doesn't sound good. And death basically means that for the wages of sin, one earns hell. Wow. And so that's what that actually means. So, but let's just do the whole pretty good thing for a second. So that means there's basically, in our minds, a sliding scale of good to bad. So let's just pretend right now, if we can, that the top of this ladder is those who are perfect and sinless. They've never done anything wrong, never had a bad attitude. They've always had the right actions. They're at the top. At the very bottom is the lowest of low people that are just dirtbags, bad people, all kinds of horrible things that they've done that have really hurt people, okay? And so let's just, can, can we do that for a second? Let's just pretend, well, I'm gonna let you help me figure out where people land on this scale. So let's start off with some not so good people. How about this guy? So let's just start off with this guy right here. Some of you guys know a lot about Jeffrey Epstein. There's been documentaries about this guy. This guy is really, I mean, a horrible guy. He committed all kinds of atrocities. Not only did he commit horrible crimes, he committed horrible crimes against children, innocent children. I mean, this guy's sick. Can we all agree? So let's just go ahead and just say, let's put him at the bottom. Does that sound good? I think it's about accurate, right? So let's just say he's about as low as you're going to go, right? I mean, I don't think you can get a whole lot worse than Jeffrey Epstein. Here's another guy, not too good, probably not fond of him either. His name's R. Kelly. He's very talented, but he used his fame. He used his talent to gain, gain some power through influence, and then he used that influence to take advantage of a lot of young girls, and, uh, and I think now it's recently come out, maybe even some young boys. I mean, this, is, this guy's sick. He's, he's done some horrible stuff. We can all agree he may be talented, but man, he has used his talents in all the wrong ways. So I'm just curious, would you guys put him above or below Epstein? It's kind of a hard toss-up, isn't it? What, what, what do you think? Above or below? Ne next to him? Okay. Well, let's go ahead and just do this. And I, I know you're thinking, well, that's kind of a toss-up. Maybe you'd put it in a different order, but I think we both agree they're pretty low. Would you agree? Okay, that based upon, you know, what they've done in their life, good or bad, we would have to say a lot more bad than good for, for both of them. Okay, let's just keep going here. And so now we're going to enter into the good category. So we're going to move up a lot here. But I'm just curious how good you think some of these people are. How about, how about this guy? Uh, how, how about him? Pretty good dude, right? And so you guys know who Chris Pratt is? Pretty funny. He's really funny. And he's, he's, he's a he's good, uh, good actor. You guys know him from the Marvel movies. But, you know. Uh, he's, a, he's a Christian. He's kind of an outspoken Christian. Maybe you've heard him before talk about his faith, but he's still living in Hollywood, and so he's got that whole world around him. But yeah, he's pretty much towing the line. So would you agree he's a pretty good guy? How many of you guys would agree with that? So he doesn't go down here with Epstein, right? No. Okay, so we would say no, not at all. I mean, he, he definitely enters the good category. I think we would, we would agree with that, right? So pretty good dude. Okay, let's just see who else we got here. I'm just, let's see, we got a couple more here. What about these guys? We could just maybe, where would we put, we should do that, or would you do them. Yeah, let's not divide the church today. Okay, let's keep going. All right. Okay. How about these people? How about these people right here? Now, they're, they're, we're going to treat them as one, right? I mean, they, they kind of function as one, it seems like, but how many of you guys would agree that Chip and Joanna Gaines are pretty good people, right? I know they're funny. They're funny to watch. Chip Gaines is really a funny guy, and, and uh, they're very talented. They're, I understand they've done a lot of good things with their wealth, and so would you, would you put them here? Would you put them here? What would you, anybody? You're kind of torn, huh? Right? So if you're into decorating, you put them above. If you're into Marvel, you put them below, right? In other words, like they're both just really good people. So I don't know where you, right? The order is kind of hard to do because they're just good people. So we'll go ahead and put them in here for now. And, and, uh, but I mean, the truth is I, I think they're, they're both 
pretty good people. I think anyone would, would argue that they're both pretty good. So let's just keep going. Now let's step it up in a, in a big way. And so here's a guy who I actually know. He's a really nice guy. And uh, Joel Osteen, is, some people consider him a modern-day Billy Graham as far as evangelism. I mean, he, he reaches, you know, 8 million people a week with his services. And, and uh, I happen to know that um, when you meet him, he's really the same guy on stage that he is off stage. I mean, just he's really got that soft, sweet spirit. In fact, it's funny, the only criticism you ever hear about Joel is they say he's just too nice. Like his sermons aren't mean enough. Which I think funny, like, so that's your criticism? Is the guy's too nice? Like, I think that we could argue whether you agree with everything he does in his ministry or not, that he's a pretty good guy, right? So I think we'd have to say that in today's world, he clearly has done a lot of good in his life. He, he makes a big difference. Not that he hasn't made mistakes. We all make mistakes. But by and large, he's, he's done a lot of good. And you can disagree with that. You may say, no, I'd put him down lower, put Chip, Chip and Jan, Joanna higher. That's okay to disagree. But I, so far, we're doing pretty good. I mean, I think the order kind of makes sense. And so now we're really getting up there. And so I think we'd have to say that this would probably have to be the highest one we could think of. Would you agree with that? I mean, could you think of someone who's more caring and compassionate? I know she's passed away at this point, but I mean, Mother Teresa is probably up for sainthood in the Catholic Church. Would you agree? I mean, this, this woman, uh, you know, literally spent her entire life, she devoted her life to holding babies that were dying in Calcutta. That's... The, that's just, I, I don't know how to even compare. I, please don't compare my life to hers. Uh, I mean, this is one amazing woman. And everyone who met her and knew her, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of books on her and people that spend a week with her. And they all said the same thing. It said she was as amazing as she seemed, that she was as sincere as she seemed. She just simply loved people and truly cared for people. And she, of course, loved the Lord. So I think we say that's about as high as you can get, right? But just one more. Let me give you this one more. You see, this one is someone who had no sin, committed no crimes, had no wrong thoughts. Jesus literally was perfect. I'm making myself nervous now. Are you guys nervous for me? <laughs> it's really high up here, by the way. Those of you who don't know that. See, the difference between Jesus and Mother Teresa is that Jesus was sinless. Mother Teresa sinned. I know we can't really think of any sins, right? I mean, we think, how, how in the world? Look, R. Kelly's so bad, he can't even stand on. <laughs> Poor guy. The truth is this, is that when you think about it, you can either be bad or you can be good. But that's not what that scripture says. It doesn't say if you're a good guy or if you're better, uh, if, you're, if your good things are better than your bad things or they outweigh each other. It doesn't say that. It says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sins is death. doesn't say this. It says the wages of sins. So a sin, one sin, puts you into the death category. One. Wow. So the only way to get into heaven, to be in the presence of God, since he is sinless, is to be perfect, sinless. And none of us are. And so that's why Christ, the sinless one, came and died on the cross for you and I. He paid the price for our sins when he had committed no crimes, he committed no sins. And so the cross was the electric chair of their day. So he had died a criminal's death, having committed no crimes. He died for you and me. It says for the wages of sin, what we've earned for our sin, even if it's just one or two, you think, Man, I'm a really good person, but you're not a perfect person, neither am I. So the wage that we've earned, you, you ever heard of a minimum wage? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not far from it now, Pastor. I understand. That's what you've earned for the work you put in, right? Whatever your wage is. 
Well, what we've earned for our sin is death. That's, that's, the, the word death comes from the word Hades. It means hell. So we've earned from just one or two sins total separation from God for eternity, hell. But Scripture goes on to say this, but the gift of God, that means it's a, a gift means you didn't earn it. Someone else earned it and gave it to you. When, when someone gives you a gift, they bought it or they re-gifted. There's always that person, right? But either way, right, you didn't buy it. They gave it to you. So Jesus earned your salvation by going to the cross for you. But the gift of God is eternal life. That means heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so there it is, the whole gospel in one verse. What we've earned because it doesn't matter how good or bad we are, we're not perfect, is hell. But through Christ, we get the gift of eternal life. So the scripture says, for the wages sin is death. Here's another scripture, Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. We're just not that good. We're not. Isaiah 64 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So it's like all the good I do is like a filthy rag compared to Jesus. I mean, even when I do something good, I've also done bad things. And even if you look really good to everyone, you know the truth on you. I know the truth on me. So even if I look spiritual to you, I I know that I've got sin. I know I have bad thoughts. I know I say things I shouldn't say, do things I shouldn't do. How about you? I bet you do that too, probably during the Texans game, right? Yesterday, you were, (laughs) those of your Cowboy fans were saying things that were very inappropriate. Don't worry, the regular season's about to start, and I'll start saying things inappropriate as well. So I... <laughs> the point is this, is that none of us are perfect. So we need someone perfect to die in our place, and that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Jesus paid our wage. He paid the price that we owe. It says in Romans 6.23, the last portion, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 10.13 tells us what we are to do about this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says everyone Now, it doesn't say that you have to become religious. It doesn't say you have to start voting Republican or Democrat. It doesn't say you have to, you know, think this or that way. In fact, I just want to encourage you before we go any further to tell you that there are very right-wing Republicans who become Christians. There are very left-wing Democrats who become Christians. There are people who believe in socialism that become Christians. There are people who are black and white and brown and every color that I didn't even mention. And there are people with the best education in the world. There are people who have virtually no education. None of that matters when it comes to being at the foot of the cross. So I just want to tell you, there's all kinds of people from all walks of life, including your walk of life, who've given their life to Christ. You see, Jesus cuts through all that. None of our opinions about all that stuff really matters when it comes to Christ. What have you done with Jesus? It's that simple. It's not complicated. It's not supposed to be complicated. Have you received Christ? Everyone who calls on the the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now, with an open mind, I just want to say one last thing before we pray a simple prayer and give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ. I'm not trying to get a notch on my belt to get you to pray this prayer. It's not about that. It's about the fact that Christ has changed my life. He changed my life so much that I dedicated my life a long time ago saying, God, you changed me so much that I want to help everyone I know to find what I've found. And so I just want to encourage you today, before we pray this prayer, please open your mind. This is your chance. Let me just say this. If 
if I'm wrong on this whole Christianity thing, if I'm wrong, if, this, if none of the documentaries, tr- documents are true, if all of those historical eyewitnesses who said they claimed Jesus rose again, if all of them are wrong, which is saying a lot, but let's just go there for a second. I don't know how thousands of people that all saw the same event are all lied and made it up. And by the way, there's no documentation, not even one, of anyone saying that the whole thing was a lie. So <laughs> kind of hard to, to buy that. But if I'm wrong, then you wasted an hour. But if I'm right, and you don't accept Christ, you missed eternity. You missed heaven. I think it's worth the risk. I think it's worth opening your mind to faith. Notice that I didn't tell you to check your brain at the door. Faith doesn't mean being stupid. I've given you clear historical evidence. In fact, there's a guy, by the way, that worked for the Chicago Tribune years ago in the 80s. This guy, his job was to expose people. He was an investigative reporter. That's what he did. He exposed corruption his entire career. His wife, to his annoyance, went to church with a friend one day, and she came home and said, I'm now a Christian. He was furious. He was like, are you kidding me? You bought into that stupidity? You're falling for that crap? He was angry. So he said on his own to say, I'm going to prove. I'm going to get my wife out of this cultish, weird crap that she's fallen for. And I'm going to prove that the whole Jesus crap is a bunch of lie. It's all stupid. Some of you offended away me even saying it, but that's how he thought. So he began to dig and do the research. And this guy knew his stuff. He knew how to find evidence on things. And he began to dig and he began to dig and he began to dig. And eventually Lee Strobel gave his life to Christ. Because what he found, this hard-edged investigative reporter, was that there was evidence everywhere to anyone who had an open mind to what the, wherever the facts led them. The facts led them to the fact that a guy claimed to be God, said he was going to die and raise again, then he did it in front of not just hundreds, but thousands of people saw this. So then he had to face the issue, what am I going to do? The evidence is there. And so he gave his life to Christ. And now he tells everyone he can about Christ as well. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ. It's all about his investigative study. So I just want to challenge you. Will you open your mind? Give your life to Christ right now. Let's pray this prayer. You can say this prayer with me right now, out loud. Across all of our campuses, those who are watching online, pray this prayer with us. You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you died for me and rose again. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart. Save me. I repent of my sin. I make you my Lord and my Savior. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just pray that prayer, then Christ has come in your life right now. No one's looking around all of our campuses. If you just accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, would you lift your hand high? No one's looking around. If you just gave your life to Christ, would you hold your hand? There are hands going up all across our campuses right now. Just hold your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ. You're not alone right now. Hold that hand high. There are hands going up right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just hold your hand high. Praise God. Wow. Hands going up all across our campuses. If you're watching online and you just gave your life to Christ, type in the chat right now, my hand's raised. Just do that. Just say, my hand's raised. Just put that in there. If you're at the churchunlimited.com stream, simply click hand raised. Let us know right now. Just lift your hand high. You're not alone. 
Hundreds of people this weekend are going to give their life to Christ from this simple truth that none of us are good enough. From R. Kelly to Mother Teresa, we all need a Savior. Lift your hand high. If you just gave your life to Jesus, you're not alone. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for that decision. Thank you for that decision. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for those who have received the good news, the gospel, that you simply sent your son for us. We thank you for that. We celebrate with you, God, all those who just came into your family, that one day when they pass away, because they received Christ, they will go to heaven. And Lord, thank you that you have a purpose for them here while they're still on this earth. Thank you, God. You begin changing us immediately from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.